might have some items to mention about healing that we have in the bookstore and online for sale. We think we're running here. Didn't I say healing's cool? We walked through this with That's what I thought. Those of you who are live on the internet, you can go to our bookstore for any of the items that we're mentioning here, ministryofthewatchman.com. Books are available on Amazon as well as our website. And so as soon as I can get a cut line up here, I'll be telling you what they are. Just have me a couple of chuck real quick. People go to sleep on the internet. Watch us one day can't get us the next. So praise God. If you can find any more healing books up there, please hand them to me, man. Can you get a close-up of this, Mr. Gary? Jesus is the way to healing. You want me to walk up there? <laughs> this one, amen. This is uh, uh, based on one of the teachings, of course, that I did, but it's very concise and the Bible says that the word is medicine, so you can't wait on the healing if you're not taking your medicine every day, several times a day. This one, you are healed by an oath and a promise. This one was offered on Facebook as well. Most of these books are around $7. I know they're all less than 10 This one is seven weeks with a God of all comfort. This is another healing devotional. It's a seven-week devotional. It's easy to do one every day. This one is seven weeks with Jesus, volume one. So we have these uh, available for you at ministryofthewatchman.com. Here's a smaller one, Healing is for You. I think this little book is probably only about four, $4, and it's a two-week healing devotional. Seven Weeks of Health and Healing, volume one. That one's available. We have MP3 players, our intensive care kit. For those of you who want to listen to the word as well as read it, the Bible says to keep it in the midst of your eyes, hide it in your heart, and also take it in your ear. And so these are very good. And this is Seven Weeks to Health and Healing, Volume 2. I have another one if you need healing while you're up. And so we have many, many books and things available for you. Those of you who are here, you know we have passed out, so I'll let Ms. Nola do these after the meeting. If you need, uh, you know, somebody who is suffering with cancer and getting chemotherapy or radiation treatments, we have free CDs for that. So have them listen until they are healed, and that's how that's done. Amen? So praise God. So we're going to go into the Word. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your people assembled here. Thank you, Father, for your Word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is with power. That's how Jesus preached. Thank you, Lord, that your word is confirmed with signs following. Thank you, Lord, for your confirmed word being preached in this place today, according to your promise to us in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. So praise God. Now, we took the offering here already, but those of you who are alive on the Internet can go to our website, hit the Donate button, and you can make an offering into this ministry, that's always a good thing to do. If you've uh, received something deposited, you can sell something. And God will be pleased with that. Amen. So today we're going to take a talk about uh, by whose stripes are you healed? By whose stripes are you healed? By whose stripes are you healed? 
our, our uh, scripture is going to be in Isaiah 53 primarily, but we're going to talk about the fact that uh, in order for for us to accept any truth from God's word, there has to be a foundation laid yeah. for understanding what we believe. Amen. Uh, you can you can try to get things from God, but if there's no foundation of understanding that it's going to be mighty tough. You're just memorizing scriptures and hoping that by some type of works that you're doing, God will do something for you. There has to be a basis on which you believe. And you have to know that personally. Got me? You must know that personally. For instance, as children, we would always look to our parents for everything. One of the things that you understand is that as parents, they are responsible to take care of you. You know, you pick that up real easily as a child. You, you know that uh, you have a home. Your parents don't put you out every night until you go find someplace else to sleep. That's your home. So in, in relationship with your parents, you get the hang of it that if I have any needs, I should be able to go to them. You got me? Now, there are exceptions to that. There are some things that parents forbid you to do, so you know if you want to do that stuff, you don't tell mommy and daddy and ask them to help you. They got me? So the exception being anything that's forbidden by the ones that are taking care of you. But the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen by us which means that God gives us permission to ask anything according to his will. Once you know the will of God, you can ask anything that is in line with his will, anything that is expressed by him. And so our foundation for expecting God to heal us has to rest on some type of understanding of him through relationship. Who is God to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is the Holy Spirit to you? So there must be a basis or foundation for our faith. It has to rest on something. The truth of God's word is everlasting, but unfolding to humanity. It is unfolded to humanity by revelation. So God's word was here before we were here. It will be here when we leave. It's everlasting. But we don't get the full understanding or the full impact of it all at one time. It's revealed to us as we open ourselves up to hear God's word and as God calls us to him to share things with us. So it's unfolded to us by revelation. It doesn't all come to you walk but at one time. You got me? But as you walk into the things of God, as you reach out to him, as you seek him, you open yourself up to hear what he has to say about different things. And so the revelation of God will come into your spirit. And then you can grab onto the things of God little bit by little bit. So you're really building a relationship or building understanding or building your faith, building uh, trust in God, building confidence in God a little bit by little bit. And, and sometimes you can make tremendous leaps in your faith, and tremendous leaps in your, your revelation of God, and then you can come back to an area where you, you have very little understanding at all, and you're right back 
it's always an adventure in God, is what I say. Uh, we can't control him and grab on to anything that he doesn't think we're ready for. But in relationship, we get an understanding that God is for us. He's not withholding anything from us. Yeah. He's a giver. He's not a taker. He's a blesser. He's not a curser. Yeah. He's a giver. He's not a withholder. And so we, we have to see this understanding of God's character is probably one of the strongest cornerstones that we can rest our faith on. When the Bible said Abraham and Sarah had a child at 99 and 100 or 90 and 100, whatever their ages were, they were very close to 100 years old, both of them, they had that because they judged God faithful. So there has to be a judgment on your part toward God that comes out of relationship. You understand that you just can't read about God and accept all of that and feel that you, you can get anything you want with your faith. It comes through relationship, and God is always in control of that relationship. So when, when Christ is revealed to us by the Father, we are able to accept him and allow him to work in our lives. Yeah. So if you're born again, you have had a revelation of Jesus Christ in some way. Now, when I was uh, first born again, I had a revelation of Christ as Savior only. But as I began to reach out to him in relationship and in my need for healing, the next revelation I got of him was that of healing, when he healed me. Little bit by little bit, I began to see that he was putting my soul back together, my body back together, my confidence in myself back together, being able to function as a human being. All of that was part and parcel of my healing experience in God. But it didn't come like overnight. I didn't just one day say, I want to be healed and I got it. It was little bit by little bit. There were little things that God started to reveal to me about him. And I found that the thing I needed more than being healed was to be able to know I could trust God. And that trust is never established. There's no basis for any of the other things we ask God for. Because we'll be thinking that one day wants us well and one day doesn't. One day he wants to help us, and one day he doesn't. So all of these things are worked out through relationship, but these relations, relationship factor is extremely important in as a cornerstone for anything that you're expecting to receive from God. Because if you don't believe he's a good God, you don't believe he's going to give you anything good. You don't believe he's a good God, you're going to think one day he's not uh, helping you, or he's not helping you solve problems, and then you start going about your own way trying to get your own answers, you yeah. see. And that's the last thing you want to do. It's the last thing God wants for you. But we do it anyway. You see what I'm saying? We just don't think uh, God is fair. I know people say things, well, the world isn't fair. That's really not what you mean. If you serve God and you know God, you really say God isn't doing this for you. And see, it's important that we get this... Uh, shenanigan pulling God out of our lives. You understand what I'm saying? We need, get, need to get a clear, true picture of God because 
it's that image of God that's going to form our belief, our understanding, our trust, uh, the way we get our answers. If we get answers, all of that stuff is going to rest on that foundation of what we know about God. Can we trust him? Do we know him as he really is? Or are we thinking some things about him that just aren't true from time to time? You know what I'm saying. We don't like to admit it, but there are times when we, you know, what's taking so long? Well, all, all right there, there's some suspicion about God. Now, you don't really want to know what's taking so long. You really don't. Because if God were to explain that to you, probably mess your head up three ways from Sunday, so he's not going to do that to you. But he will help your faith. So you may find that you're asking God all kinds of questions that never get answered. Because if you regard iniquity in your heart, he does not hear you. He turns a deaf ear to our complaining, our whining, our uh, time watching. How long is it going to be? Do you know how old I am, God? Do you know how long it's been, God? He doesn't even listen to that kind of stuff. What he will do is he will come and give you a, a remedy for your weak faith, which is what you're expressing right now. You just don't know that that's what it is. You see what I'm saying? So we tend to want to act like we're, we're blaming ourselves for the our lack of faith, but really we're trying to point the finger at God. Everything that we, we do, if we're thinking we, we're waiting too long, it's, it's anything that we think about our walking God that points to something not being fair toward us is an indictment against God. And so we need to accept that and understand that, that, that you can indict God and use his faith too. So you have to pick up drop one and pick up the other one. So God will ignore our complaining and our whining and all that stuff and try to get us back into faith. So he can get us back into a place where we were comfortable believing him and we understood him and we were going along about our merry way and then we got distracted from, by the devil and he's trying to plant ideas in our head about something's not fair uh, or somebody's not being fair to us. Somebody's not treating us right. You know, we start blaming it on other people. That's worse than blaming it on God. You understand what I'm saying? Because he tells us to walk in to love our, our brethren, not to point the finger at them and accuse them. He tells us to love one another. So that's not going to help your faith either. And so what we need to do is make up our minds to stay close to God, walk with him. If things start bothering us, troubling us, Talk to God, but talk to him in a way where you, you know you respect him, where you're not blaming him for the fact that you don't have everything you want immediately. You know, I've heard people say things, well, maybe God's forgotten us. You know, no, you forgot him. It's, it's the truth, because we go about our way wanting everything. We forget the laws of sowing and reaping. We forget with how to use our faith, and then we expect God to keep up with all our wants, and we really haven't been using our faith the way we should. And so once you get an understanding that you've got to judge God good, faithful, wanting to bless you, a good father, totally trustworthy, totally blameless, he's a holy God, 
you must stand on that truth that you are putting your trust into somebody who is, is worthy of your trust, capable, understanding all of the above. Just because God doesn't want to hear you whine, it doesn't mean he doesn't understand you. The Bible says that Jesus was touched with the feelings of our weaknesses. He knows exactly how we feel in everything. But he nailed feelings to the tree. He nailed disappointment to the tree. He nailed discouragement to the tree. And as soon as we can reckon all those things dead and reckon ourselves dead to all of that, and alive by faith, alive in Christ, alive to what he's doing now, maybe he's not sending you all the money you want right now. Maybe he's sending you a different kind of blessing. Can he, do you trust him to send you the blessing he knows you really need? Or do you, are you just going to whine, whine, whine for everything you want and not be satisfied once you get it? And so these are the things that we have to understand that when you judge God faithfully, you're not pressed for anything. You're not in a rush for anything. You're not late getting anything. You're not, none of nothing's wrong in your life. Everything's wonderful. And so when you trust God, it's all good. And so it's from a position of it's all good, then that we begin to expect more of the things that we desire in life from God. And so when you try to understand by in the, in the realm of healing, you have a choice to, to make. Are you healed by faith in a trustworthy God, in an honest God, in a dependable God, in a faithful God? Are you healed by faith in Him, or are you healed by some other means? Yeah, are you healed by some other means? So we need to know that there is a difference between grace and works as far as God is concerned. The Syrophoenician woman who wasn't, who was a Greek and, and didn't know, she wasn't a Hebrew woman, she didn't have any history with God, she found out the difference. And many people that came to God, and to Jesus, and felt they had no right to ask him for anything, but they found out that he was a good God, and they found out that salvation, healing, whatever it is they were asking for, was by grace and not by works. So we're going to talk about that a little bit so you get an understanding that if you get to a place where you don't understand what's going on, there's nothing you need to do to make God hurry it up. There's nothing he needs to do to, to make up for your, your impatience. You just need to sit down and listen to God and find the grace to make it through your situation and your manifestation will come and it will come quickly, amen, because you're settling in in the right road to receive from God. We need to understand that sin is debt, amen. We owe a penalty for our sins. Sin has caused us to need payment for our lives, our health, and our prosperity. The broken law of Moses imposes a curse. God spoke this to our parents, Adam and Eve. He created man to live eternally, but death was pronounced on them because of disobedience. In this death, they were separated from God, from his life, and from his righteousness. So God had to draw us back to him by teaching us about him 
himself and his plan to bring us back into eternal life. So really, the Old Testament and where we are at now, we are being taught the ways of God. We are learning the ways of God, which means that in learning, we have to understand what is right thinking, what's wrong thinking, what God expects us to believe from day to day, how to live your life by faith every day and from day to day. So while we're expecting certain blessings to come to us, God actually is, is teaching us how to live by what we call faith. And that is a, a confident trust in God, a trust in God that's not hurried, that's not rushed, that doesn't feel it's, it's lacking anything, there is a completeness that comes to us when we live by faith and we walk by faith. There is a contentment that comes to us when we live by faith and walk by faith. I've found out many times if I'm anxious about something and I've, I've taught myself to get distracted by something where I can develop my spirit. You got me? So these distractions that develop my spirit are really God's answers to my impatience. And that is, just get in the spirit, walk by faith, ride this impatience out. What I have for you is on schedule, it's on time, it's not late, it's not, there's no, no problem here. But what you have to do is, is help yourself to live by the fruit of the spirit. So God is teaching us to live a different way, a spiritual way, and see, we sit on pins and needles sometimes wait for him to do one thing for us so we can just all of a sudden relax. Well, you can relax without that. In fact, you won't have to. You understand what you want to stretch out and relax and, and live a good godly life without that, you know? Amen. Some of us have been set free by telling ourselves that. You ever said something like, well, you find you get too wild up? God, if I never get it, I'm going to serve you and love you anyway. That's exactly what I'm going to do you And this is how you, you get back on your foundation of God is a good God. He loves me. He's promised me everything. There's nothing wrong between me and God. There's nothing wrong in our relationship. Because if you let the devil rob you of that foundation, then he'll take you all around the mulberry bush trying to, to get healed by your own stripes, get, get, uh, uh, get prosperous by your own works instead of allowing God to let blessings follow you. If you're following God, blessings will follow you and overtake you automatically. See? And so that's what he, when Jesus said, learn of me, my yoke is easy, my, that's what he, that's the easy burden and the light yoke. And if you're not walking in that, if you're stressed out and wondering and worrying and all that kind of stuff, I know we've had a horrible time with this little building in Detroit. And I thought to myself, God, come on now. I'm too old. You know how long I've been serving you. I'd have it down pat by now. You know, all that kind of stuff. And you can work yourself over. You can work yourself up. You can work yourself under, but you're not going to get God to move any faster. And you're not going to get him to reveal his plan to you any more than what he's revealed that you can see right there. So you might as well go ahead and chill out. Huh? 
went through a thing where I, I couldn't couldn't go to Detroit because there was nothing to do there. It was a waste of money to go stay in that hotel. And I would preach in Cleveland. I said, God, what's wrong? This is too easy. I slept in my own bed last night. I never told myself in the van and go to Detroit. All the time, like, what's wrong here? Something, something's not right. What's going on? Is this the devil? You understand what I'm saying? That you can you can go through that harangue if you want to, or you can just say, God, you know what? I'm gonna learn how to enjoy these these departures from the normal. Whatever he's doing, I let him do it. I don't have to know everything that's going on. I'm not that type of a person. I I know how to ride it out. And if he wants to tell me what's up, then he can tell me what's up. But I just ride it out until I get to the next thing he tells me to do. And so we have to learn to trust God. He's a trustworthy God. If I trusted him with my life when I was depressed and sick and didn't know much, I can trust him again now. I don't have to know everything, and I don't have to be in control of everything. So God taught us right and wrong by giving us the law. Every law he gave only emphasized our need for a Savior and for righteousness. And that's what the law of God does. It emphasizes that we are in no condition to do right from wrong without his help. And we need his extreme help. So anytime we do something right or we, we you know, something good happens or something, Praise God. That's your best answer because you can't take credit for it. You really don't know how it happened. Uh, you know, like sometimes people, <laughs> I've heard that people say things like, they said, one, one, one minute I was struggling, trying to get everything done for my kids. The next thing I knew, it was all going on in the house. You know what I'm saying? Job done. You know what I'm saying? So we don't, we don't watch it real quickly. You know, these things just get done when you love the Lord and you serve God. God is working to get all of those things that you struggle with completed. Amen? And he'll do it so quick and without much effort on your part, you'd be shocked. You look up one day, the kids are gone, you got grandkids, you understand what I'm saying? And God won't let you stress over them either. You'll, you'll have a carefree life. And you don't watch yourself, you might really enjoy some stuff that you. You understand what I'm saying? And so as believers, we have a tendency make things hard for ourselves. We always want to include us in there. Huh? As either the fly in the ointment or the one who's wonderful and does everything right. You know, your mind will swing from one thing to another. Huh? Lord, don't find some folks that's worse off than we are. Huh? We can talk about them too. I know I do. I said, hey, there I go again. I'm going to grow up one day and quit doing this. You know what I'm saying? But your mind swings, the carnal mind swings that way. One day you do everything right, next day you do everything wrong. And so God, though, is, is in the realm of the Spirit helping us to live in relationship with Him. When you're in relationship with God, there's no right and no wrong. There's no curse anymore. There's just life in Christ and being attentive to what He is doing minute to minute and connect with him in that. What, what does the law have to do? Law has nothing to do with that. All you got to find do is find your place in God and stay there. Okay. Huh? Just be cool, as the brothers would say. We know also 
that, that God needed to be satisfied that the laws, that the penalty was paid for the laws that we had broken, that humanity had broken. And that's where the need for a savior comes in. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sin shall die. God's plan was to provide a substitute sacrifice that would take our place in suffering, sickness, poverty, and death. The whole curse of the law excuse me, would be broken by the substitutionary suffering of the innocent soul. That's Jesus. The substitute would have to be sinless. One can only be a substitute if he pays for the sins of others, not for his own. You can only be a substitute if you pay for the sins of others and not your own. Now, we talked about this a little bit in the Rejoice Detroit meeting. We talked about uh, the different the tribal kings in Africa and the Congo, especially when Dr. Livingston was over here and he cut covenant with all these different leaders and, and gained power to move from place to place there. Those leaders did not cut the covenant themselves, but they had a substitute to cut themselves and shed their blood, which was accepted as the king's blood because that guy stood in for him. Anything the king allows is allowed, yes. and it's legal, yes. and it's binding, yes. and it's effective. Yes. So anything that God allows is legal, and it's binding, and it's effective. So if he allows Jesus, one man to die for the sins of all mankind, it's because one man sinned and, and sin came onto the whole human race. So it's a life for life. It's an equal thing. God knows what he's doing. He's not cutting corners. He's not uh, making anything up as he goes along. This is all planned. It all makes sense spiritually and it's powerful and it's effective in the realm of the spirit because it's holy and it's pure and it's God. God brought it up and it works. And if you can, can understand and get revelation from God, it makes sense to you too. Once you, you know, try to get in there and try to understand with God, he'll help you to help things make sense. You ever start thinking about something, trying to figure it out, you get dizzy? Yeah. It's like you go way far out, so you say, oh, oh, oh. Well, you just come to God. He's your dizzy. Yeah. When, you try to, when you try to figure things out, your brain kind of curls on the edge. You just bumped into him, honey, that's all. You just back up and say, okay, I go, I go push it. I'm going to wait for that. But the substitute would have to be sinless. One could only be a substitute if he pays for the sins of others, not for his own. Otherwise, he can only pay for his own sins. Got me? The soul that sins must die. If a soul doesn't sin, and he dies, who is he dying for? He's dying for the sins of others. Okay. I'm going to back up off of that one. See, there was no reason for Jesus to die, period. He didn't have any sin. So the death penalty was never on him. But he took it on himself as a substitute for us. So if you look at what he was and what he did, he, he owed nothing to anybody. Yeah. He 
owed nothing for, for sin, for his own sin, because he didn't sin. He was sinless. But he took it on himself for somebody else, and that was his, he was a substitute for us in everything that the broken, every curse that the broken law provided, he substituted for us. So there's nothing that can come in your life that he didn't pay for and you can't accept his atonement work for that by faith. Just he did it already. And the, whatever is missing from me is mine because he did it already. You see what I'm saying? And so when we talk about claiming your healing, it's not just saying, I'm by his stripes, I'm healed. And nervously and scared. Don't want nobody to ask you what that means. You know what it means. If you, if you understand the covenant of God, you know what that means. So you don't have to just spit scriptures out and hope nobody picks it apart or something like that. You use that word to minister to you when you get doubt because of symptoms in your body. You use that word to minister to you and to help you bring life to you, which is what Jesus left, left it for us to do. So the substitute would have to be sinless. Why? Because God said so. He only accepted a sinless lamb. One can only sub if he pays for the sins of others. Otherwise, he can only pay for his own sins, which Jesus had none. He had to meet all of God's requirements. If you look at those animal sacrifice requirements under the, the law of Moses, you'll see a lamb without spot or blemish. They couldn't have any broken bones. If you look at what it said in, in the New Testament, the Old Testament about Jesus, none of his bones were broken. When they took him off the cross, none of his bones were broken. Even in death, they weren't broken. If you looked at the lambs that they uh, 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 slew in, in the carcasses, none of those bones were broken. And so he lined up 100% with every uh, requirement that God made for those animals that were offered in temporary atonement for man's sins. And so Jesus had to, had to be offered up once for mankind as a perfect sinless substitute. So in this way, he qualified as a substitute for all mankind. He owns healing because he paid for it. Yes. Anything you pay for, you own. Yes. Isn't that right? Yes. He's got a receipt for it. What's his receipt? Thank you, ma'am. Speak up. His stripes, amen. So he got a receipt for the fact that he paid for our healing. So that's how he owns it. The Bible says himself took. He himself took them. The devil didn't take nothing except your money. You got me? He'll always take something you'd rather keep, and he'll always give you something you'd rather not have. So Jesus bore our sicknesses, our sins, his receipt is his stripes. We receive the atonement when we say yes to Jesus, to his offer to take all penalty, all curse, all of it. All of it. He pays the penalty and purchases us out of the power of the curse. 
So the curse has no power over you anymore. If you live in the power of Christ, poverty has no power over you. You don't say poor forever. You get out of that. Amen. All you need to do is get a plan for God and stick to it.
reconciliation of relationships? How do we obtain these things? We obtain them by faith in what we just described. You have to have faith in that these things are granted to you based on what the substitute did for you. If you're looking to feel better because you've got to be punished for something, i got news for you. You're not going to feel better. God's not going to let you. In his mercy, he won't let you be deceived like that. So God will allow us the freedom to accept the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ in the full and not feel we have to do anything besides believe. There's nothing you must do besides believe. When you believe, there are actions that follow your faith, but believing is not getting up and just doing something that pops into your head. You got me? These, there are actions that follow your faith, but it's not something you conjure up in your head. For instance, when Jesus spit on the ground and made, uh, put, made clay and put on that man's eyes, that's not something that we just can get a formula book and go do every time you see a blind person. You understand what I'm saying? They'll put you in the nut house doing that kind of stuff, especially if they don't see. You understand what I'm saying? We still got to prove that, that they, you know, that if they walk, you tell them to walk and they start stumbling, you're done. You got me? So we don't just pick up things out of our head and mimic them and call them faith. And there's a lot of that going around, folks. There's a lot of mimicking that we think is faith or that we try to get to masquerade as faith. Everybody's got Christian jargon that they can spit out at people, you know, when, when they need something, you know. Uh, it's just a test. You won't have a testimony. Listen, let me get up off this bed first. Testimony later. You know, no respect, disrespect to God. But God is not healing you so that you can give a testimony. He's healing you because he told you he would. Huh? He gave me his word. He told me We worry about the testimony later. Get me up off the deathbed first. We ain't got nothing right now. But a lot of aches and pains I'm trying to get rid of. So send the next minister in, please. Next. Because that one didn't cut. You got me? Bible said he sent his word to heal them, not told them to stay sick so they can have a testimony. Come on now. People can take that the wrong way in a minute. I've seen them do it. There's a gentleman that used to come to our meetings to get prayer. God told me, oh boy, here we go. If he didn't tell you you're healed already, you didn't talk to him. Everybody's going to know God is real. Well, if they're saved, they know he's real. So you're, you're going through all this pain and stuff is not helping that situation. Maybe you need to know he's real. You know, don't be worried about these other people. No one's all about that. You take care of you. He died for you. Amen. He had three kidney surgeons waiting on God to 
bring his testimony. Last time I talked to him, he still had kidney stones. You understand what I'm saying? No faith whatsoever involved. It's all religion. I'm, I'm here for a, to show everybody how good God is. Well, we're supposed to preach the gospel, and that's how you show that. You understand what I'm saying? You preach Christ to them and let them hear something about the goodness of God. He not See, that's trying to get healed by your own stripes. Taking all these surgeries and going through all this pain and stuff, you know, somehow you're different and you're going to go through all of this and at the end people are going to know God is good. I don't think so. Anybody in their right mind would want that. Are you kidding me? I want to get by me a guy that don't have no surgery whatsoever. And knows how to go to the altar just to get it. I want to hear what he's got to say. See what I'm saying? Amen. I don't want to hear what that person has to say. So you're not you're not sick to give a testimony. You better get healed. Because you know? it can get worse. Get your mind off of suffering through so you can help somebody. We're taught by the Holy Spirit. We're not taught by one another. Now you can encourage me and I can encourage you, but but you're taught by the Holy Spirit. He has something specific in your situation, in your case, is going to help you, 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 nobody but you. When we have people come up and give testimonies, it's to encourage you. Sometimes people waiting on Amos 9.13 and, and Amos 6 ain't showed up. You know what I'm saying? And, and so somebody who's got it working can come up and tell you, hold on, if you just on 6, 8 is coming, and 9's even better. You understand what I'm saying? And so if we, we understand the purpose of testimony, it's to overcome hindrances that are trying to block you from receiving what God has for you. It's not, you're not a testimony uh, to show somebody something. We're already been shown the way. We already know the way. But in a congregational setting, the devil's trying to get pick people off one by one through discouragement. So we have testimony to keep you encouraged for your own thing. You got me? Mostly people sometimes don't even know they have a testimony when they, they you know, you devil switch you so much, you care less about it. What testify what? What did I do? Hold on, let me just show you a few things. You know, when you're in the midst of a fire, in the midst of a storm, you don't know what's going on. See? But somebody who's standing aside can look at it and put it together for you. Oh, we got a testimony over there. Come on up and share that. You know what I'm saying? And so, and, 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 but you're not going through something, so you come here and talk to people about your life. We'd be just fine without it, you know, mostly, but we do do it to encourage one another. Never know who's struggling and who might be helped by that, you know? So we need anything. We obtain it by faith and what we just talked about, the fact that Jesus took everything. So turn to Isaiah 53. Nothing 
was left undone, folks. Yeah. And don't ever let the devil tell you. He likes to isolate us in our pain or our suffering or our disappointment and make us think we're the only ones, you know? He likes to turn church people bitter against each other. You know, there have been people that, that always compare themselves with somebody else and wind up dropping out of serving God. Because the devil makes you think everybody's looking at you, everybody's examining you, they know what's going on, all this kind of, you stick out like a sore thumb. When are we going to get our breakthrough and all this so we can show everybody we stupid, you know, that kind of stuff. So you're not by yourself. You're never alone. So God wants you to quit feeling that you're in this alone because Jesus walks through these things with us. He walks through them with us. He's paid the price, and yet he walks through them with us again. So it's Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed, or the strength of the Lord revealed? He is despised and rejected of men, in verse 3. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid our faces from him. We didn't want to look on his pain. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. What, yet we did look at him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, when people saw Jesus die, they considered him a failure. And that's what the scripture is saying. We esteemed him stricken. We, all we saw was him dying on the cross. All we saw was that the Romans murdered another guilty person, you know. And so what it says is we looked at him as any other human being that those people put to death. But this man was different because he was not dying for his own. He was dying as a substitute for the sins of others. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. It's when you know to do right and don't do it, or sometimes you slip up and do something wrong. Well, he was wounded for that. But let me tell you something, a little bit of something about that. Don't ever be afraid to admit. This is where Christians lose grace all the time, is that we're slow to admit when we're wrong. You understand what I'm saying? You do you do something, you get caught at it, you want to make up a million excuses for this. You know, an excuse, nothing excuses you but the blood of Jesus. See, that's why God had me write that book about pleading the blood and lawyer up. Because he said, more people lose my grace in their lives by trying to defend themselves after I've told them that I am their defense. Man. Your guilty tangle will evaporate so quick if you'll learn how to lawyer up. Well, God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It tells you, Chuck, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. What did I say? I didn't mean to hurt your feelings when I said that. That's all you need to do. Or, Chuck, you got me that time, and I meant to hurt your little sloppy feelings. <laughs> you know, but I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? I can't bet you with a dad, but I'm sorry. You know, whatever it is. But you lawyer up. You understand that your flesh is the same as a murderer's flesh. Still. It's just we are able to find his grace by not trying to be right all the time. 
walking around feeling like, well, I've done this again. I got myself in this mess again. We don't want to face people. We don't, and some people don't even ask for prayer and ask for help when they're in trouble because they're so guilt-ridden because they're there all the time. Well, if you're there all the time, ask God, God, you know what, this time, this time, let me come out and don't revisit this place again. If that really bugs you that much, let me come out this time and not revisit this place anymore. You'll find your life will change drastically because many times we are our own problem. Uh, but that doesn't mean you gotta live in guilt. That doesn't mean you gotta live feeling small at all. It just means you gotta lean more on him and trust him more and not try to have your own answers and not try to be your own savior and not try to be your own healer and not try to be your own counselor. But just fall into the everlasting arms because you don't know what you're doing. Just like, I don't know what I'm doing either. You understand what I'm saying? We got a pretty good idea and we can take that a little bit further down the road but as far as having all the answers, don't even try to, don't mess yourself up. Don't even go over it yourself. Because you don't have to know them all. All you got to know is enough to get you to the next place where God is going to help you. That's what you need to do. The problem we have sometimes in our wrong thinking is believing that we can pay for our own sins to the degree that we don't mess up anymore. If messing up bothers you, I got news for you. You're going to be a mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up, mess up until you learn how to get the right attitude about it. Wrong attitude will keep you on the road to messing up. Huh? If you're trying to cover up all the time, you will keep messing up. It's only until you come clean that you're going to be able to walk in righteousness and walk side by side with God. We have to wait for something. Getting into works indicates that we think our stripes or our works or our sufferings can pay for what we what we need, especially healing. Where people mess up with, with healing is they think that if they confess the word a lot, it's going to get it faster for them. Huh? Now, what does confessing the word do? What, is, what does that do? What does saying the word out of your mouth do? Does it impress God? A lot of people think it does. Huh? See, the truth is, we don't even know what it does. We don't stop to think what it does because we've heard brother somebody say that you got to confess the word in order to get something. So we're so get mentality and we go and confess it and confess it and confess it and then we get tired and quit confessing at all because we don't know what we're doing. Come on. Come on, freak. What we're supposed to be doing. Well, there's one scripture that you need to understand to get healed. That's Proverbs 4, 20 and 22. That's why I say that scripture at every beginning of every healing school. If you're waiting on a healing, just like you're waiting on a healing from the doctor, what do you do with, with the doctor? If you got pills and he gave you, what do you do? 
You take the medicine of your pills. If you're waiting on God to heal you, what do you do? You take the medicine of the word. Except you're not waiting on God to heal you. You're already healed. Let me tell you what confessing the word is supposed to do for us. If you've got symptoms in your body, chances are very good that you've accepted them by thinking on them. Come on. You know the first tip off you got that you're receiving it? That means you embraced it. You took the package right and you wonder what this is. Huh? What you need to do is say, whatever you are, you get off of me because I am healed by Jesus Christ. And as many times as you need to say it to convince yourself that it doesn't belong to you. That's what you do by confessing the word. You are convincing your soul that God's word is true and what you feel is a lie. That's all you're doing. So when are you convinced? After you say it once? After you say it twice? After you say it ten times? When are you convinced? When the symptoms go away? Huh? Uh, when are we convinced? When we quit embracing it. When we treat it like it's not there. We treat it like it don't exist. That's when you're convinced you're healed because it's a nothing to you, just like Jesus wants it to be. So that's when you're convinced. That pain can come and go on you for 15 years. As long as you keep taking the medicine of the word, you're convinced that that thing is not going to be any trouble to you, then you're fine. Fred Price did that. He said he had something, it was, he had some kind of growth or something. And he said it was painful. And he said, I made up my mind I was going to trust God to get rid of it. There was some kind of growth or, you know, it, it was painful. And he said, and this is one thing you have to be sure of. Once you make up your mind that you're trusting God to get rid of that symptom for you, time cannot mean anything to you anymore. When you go back and say, it's been so and so and you. So that's when you start to confess some more and convince yourself that it's taken care of. Once you convince yourself it's taken care of already, all you've got to do is keep stay in that frame of mind, stay in that zone of believing that it's not an issue. Don't let your mind wander and go back to wonder what this is. Keep feeding your soul the word till you convince yourself that it's nothing. And if that don't work for you, you go to the elders of the church, the Bible says, let them pray over you, anointing of you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. If the pain is bugging you, ask God to take it away from you and go up to the altar and get it. But believe it's going to be taken away. Don't go up there playing around. 
Don't bring them, you know, rookie shenanigans into the altar. You know, Con just be convinced that you're going to accept your healing and receive your healing from God. And after that, you know, it's it's all over but the shouting. But but we there's all kinds of ways to get your healing from the Word. But that's really what the confession is for. It's to minister the medicine of the Word to yourself. That is through confessing that you minister the medicine of the Word to yourself. The word confess means to say together with. So you're saying together with God what He's already done for you. And you are convincing your body and your soul to receive it. That's it. That's what your confession does. Your confession is not to impress God that you're doing the right thing. There you go striping yourself again when you do that. See, we're trying to afflict ourselves. We're giving ourselves some boring, repetitive thing to do and hoping it influences God to do something for us. That's not how this covenant works. This covenant works by faith. That you believe, you receive it when you pray, you walk away, and you begin to take the medicine to enforce what you agreed with God that you have already. So the medicine is really to enforce your covenant with God. So we, we you need to do things by faith in God. The word stripes actually means wounds, hurts, and pains. And it means the affliction of the soul or flesh. And many times people think that if they worry about something, that proves something, that they're concerned, they're doing their part, they're doing, you understand what I'm saying? Some people, you can't make them stop worrying because they think it's they're accomplishing something when they worry. You know, I'm, sometimes I've gotten to the place where I, my mind is overwhelmed with things, and then all of a sudden I get to a place of peace, and I start trying to grab something again. You know, it can be a foreign place for you from time to time. But you have to learn how to abide in God's peace because your affliction is not going to get you anything in God. Yeah, Why? You're trying to outdo what Jesus did. You can't outdo him. And you don't have to do it over. He did it perfectly when he did it. And what he did is enough. You've got to know it's enough for the saint and the sinner. If the sinner can put their trust in God, that they can have the same thing that we can have. It's amazing. And many times they keep it too. You know, we got a got a nephew, we got all kind of the in-law, outlaw people running around the family that are healed. Just boom, believed it, got it, and kept it. Huh? And then we see saints running around and can't get it going on for nothing. You understand what I'm saying? Sneak off to the doctor like they got to sneak away from us. You know, I'm just trying to tell you what's what God has for you. Hey, make you take it. You understand what I'm saying? And so we just just have to understand that that when when faith comes in, righteousness accompanies it, and there's no penalty against that. It, that the curse can't stick to you for anything once you believe God or something. And anybody can believe God. Believers though have a covenant with God which means that we have a guarantee of healing of all things. So, in Isaiah 53, let me go back there for a minute. 
He was wounded for us, bruised for us, already. You've got to see that as having been done already. When you meditate a good, good while on it's already taken care of, it'll move you out of believing for a manifestation. It'll move you into the reality of the thing. You've got to believe it was done already. You're not waiting on anything. You're not waiting on God to do something. What you really are doing is, is waiting to convince yourself that it's time for you to step into your healing. That's the only thing you could need time for is convincing yourself, convincing your body, convincing your soul that it's a done deal, it's already done. Why are we sitting here? Why are we waiting? Why are we taking up time with this? It's done already. Let's just get it. Yeah. Yeah. Lillian Yeomans was good at getting people to the point where they could see that all they needed to do was say, she said, just, I took my healing right then and right there. She said, God told me, uh, remember when she said uh, that, that she had eye strength and she had already made up her mind to take some time off of her job, it would be a paid leave, and she needed to rest. And she said that when she thought that, she was reading the word, and she said all of a sudden what popped in her mind was a story of the ten lepers, that they were healed as they went. And so God told her, don't apply for disability. Don't apply for a leave. Just keep working. You're healed. You got me? And she said immediately her eyesight began to be restored as she went. But suppose she had taken that leave. She'd been waiting on it. You understand? See, the wait is in your means of getting your... Huh? The immediate was in God's means of doing it. See? So that's where we get that concept of winning from that. Because she saw that if she kept going, and that is a Bible principle. Anybody, if you if you injure yourself, if you get up and you keep walking around and doing what you normally do, you'll convince your body and your soul that you are healed just from the performing of normal activities. Faith works like that. Amen. Faith works Amen. like that. It especially works like that for healing. For some reason, it's easy to win and be made whole. You got me? It's easy to win and be made whole. Why? Because you're accepting that it's done already. All the work is done. Sometimes we enjoy the work of waiting for something. So we can talk about not having it, I guess. I don't know what it is, but something about that appeals to myself too. I'll put myself in the pot because it's easy to fall over into work's mentality and your own stripes, taking your own affliction as something that, that's necessary in order for you to be healed. Some people don't believe God does anything instantly, you know? And he does, he wants to do things because it's all paid for. Why wouldn't he do it instantly? He's more inclined to want to do it in the now than he is to do it later, because we're asking that. He'd give us everything we ask for right now if we could believe these things are done already. There's no reason for sickness to be on your body. There's no reason for pain to be on your body. If Jesus took it all, why are we putting up with it? No reason. There's no reason. No reason. So himself took our infirmities for our sins.
by his stripes, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Peace means that you don't owe God anything. You're not indebted. That debt's been satisfied. With his stripes we are healed. So your healing is paid for by the pain that Jesus suffered. Whatever he suffered was adequate and, and then some to pay for everything that we need. We said that Jesus owns healing because he paid for it. That's why you go to him to get healed. That's why you pray in his name for healing to be uh, received. We receive atonement when we say yes to Jesus' offer to take all the penalty and curse from us because he paid the penalty and purchases us out of the power and imputes righteousness to us, all we have to do is accept this and believe. So if he took your sin, he didn't just leave you sin free, he imputed something to you that draws healing and blessing into your life. The atonement was two, twofold, two phases to it. Number one, what he took from you, and number two, what he left you with, what he imputed to you. If he only took your, your sin, you'd be left with no power to get anything right in your life. But he took your sin and imputed righteousness. This is where your, your backslidden believers live. They live in the land of Jesus took my sins. I am born again. I am saved. And I know Jesus took my sins. But somehow they get stuck because they can't quit fornicate. They can't quit lying. They can't quit beating up somebody. They can't quit, you know, they can't live right. Because they don't understand that he not only took something from them, if he took it from you, he left you without something. But now he's got to put something in you that draws the right stuff to your life. So he imputed his righteousness to you, but you had to get rid of your sin first. He couldn't put righteousness on top of your sin. And this is the other problem with believers. They try to pretend righteousness when they know they're living wrong. So this is how they get defensive. I know I'm a child of God. I'm just as good as in Christians. They always point the finger at me. They can't live right because they don't understand what they got at the cross. Amen. Churches don't tell them. They just get you in there and get you on the road and talk about we got 10,000 seat auditorium here and live any kind of way. Cheats people out of work. You know, why would you let people be tormented by the devil and not really be able to feel good about themselves in their Christian life when they don't understand that you had to have something in you that makes you sin less now if you get it in your mind that you don't have to sin, sin doesn't have dominion over you anymore, then you can begin to understand what righteousness, imputed righteousness is. 
But this is what the devil does. He lets people get saved, even let them speak in tongues, and then he starts hiding righteousness from them. Keep your mind above water. Look at what you did. You ain't saved. He keeps you an unbelief about your even basic salvation when you should have moved on a long time ago and understand that righteousness has been imputed to you. Well, that was, if I don't have righteousness imputed to me, how am I able to witness to people? And how am I, yeah, but look at what you're doing over there. And the devil wins out every time. Huh? We let him win out because we don't win that battle of imputed righteousness to us. And start living out of that instead of trying to cover up our misdeeds as often as we can and making excuses for what we do wrong. Righteous people don't need excuses. They live condemnation free. They live debt free. They live every kind of free. Because they understand what's been given to them. God, thank you that you didn't leave me bankrupt and void. When you took my sin, you imputed righteousness in its place. And now when I live, I live as a righteous person. Obeying you, walking in the Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit, and the laws of God. You need to start telling yourself that. God, I thank you. I live as a righteous person. When I obey your law and I understand what, what you're doing in my life, righteousness, and I can start bearing fruit of righteousness in every activity that I do, Everything that I do can be a righteous act. Everything that I meditate on can be a righteous thought. I don't have to think like a lowly worm anymore. Be depressed and discouraged about everything. Wonder when I'm going to get mine and all that kind of stuff. I have imputed righteousness and start talking like it, acting like it, and living it out every day. That's what God wants you to do. So you have righteousness imputed. Have to worry about what your words sound like. Impressing the saints. Try to say the right thing all the time. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Scared to say anything normal. Hmm? We, you know, we live like that. Everybody's so condemned about how they sound. What are people going to think? Got to say the right thing all the time. And righteousness has been imputed to you. Righteousness will tell you what to do. Righteousness will start talking for you. Just shut your little business down and let God start prompting you what to say and what to say. And see if you don't live a, a free life. <laughs> God is good. His mercy endures forever. we got to understand that. But you're not healed by anything you do. I don't care if it's confessing the word. I don't care. Your faith is not a work. It's not a work until God tells you what to do with your faith. He's got to tell you what act to do to show him your faith. Sometimes all you need to do is thank him for healing you. That's enough show for God. Anything else gets stupid real quick. You understand what I'm saying? We can take anything to the max so that it doesn't have any effect in the spirit. The works that you do as a result of your faith have to have a spiritual impact, and only God knows what those things are. But I tell you this much, you keep feeding yourself on the word. You keep giving yourself the medicine of the word. 
and your healing will spring forth speedily. You're not just sitting up waiting on God to do anything. While you wait, you take your medicine. Just keep taking your medicine. Keep thanking him and keep expecting it to come. Sometimes we think we're doing acts of faith and we're just doing rituals. Sometimes we ritually listen to the word, ritually confess the word, ritual go in the church. Start making it real. Go to church for something. God wants to not go just go there and sit there like a jellyfish. I expect to get some answers to some things I need in my life. Amen. There's some things that's been bugging me ever since I've been saved and serving you, and I'm expecting to get answers when I sit in this sanctuary today. You understand? Go there with a purpose. Do everything with a purpose and expectation of good from God. The person who gets healed comes to get what God has promised and isn't trying to earn his healing through hard work strikes and good behavior, giving more money, or any other act of atonement. You get it by faith. Some people, sometimes people rather throw money at it than go get up giving their Bible. You know what I'm saying? They just, they just refuse to give up the ghost on the works. Seriously, the person who gets healed, healed knows he does not qualify through his own works or his own righteousness, but trust in the righteousness that comes through faith and that Jesus has done it and you have no ability to do it. You don't even come close. Jesus' stripes, pain, and suffering and his work, finished work on the cross is full payment for everything we need. And when we understand that, we will listen to God and do those things that are pleasing to his, to, in his sight. When we trust God, there is contentment and not anxiety if we have to wait for things. And if you're in faith, your faith is real enough that you don't see yourself as waiting. You see yourself as waiting. Are you waiting or are you winning? Yeah. When you think about it as a Christian, you're not waiting on anything. You're winning. You're trusting God. You know you have it already. And you are healed as you go. You're made whole as you go. You prosper as you go. If you're in debt, you need to see every day that you get up and you serve God as a day that you're further out of debt, not further in debt. And I'm going to say it again because people don't like Some people don't like the truth. I said, if you're in debt, every day that you wake up, you need to see yourself as this is a day I'm serving God and I am further out of debt today. You don't have to wait for money to come to because you're walking out of debt. You're walking out of poverty. Every day you're walking with Jesus. You walk in righteousness. Righteousness has no penalty, so I'm not accumulating more debt. I'm getting further into my wealth and my prosperity. I'm not staying. Debt means you're staying there 
and you don't have any intention of, of doing one righteous thing. Yeah, I mean, we do lots of righteous things every day. You get up, you pray. You get up, you worship God. You get up, you thank God. You get up, you're nice to your kids. You get up, you're nice to your boss. You get up, you, you understand what I'm saying? You spread the love. That's serving God. Those are righteous acts. See, we're waiting on something big to happen to uh, get us out of our dilemma. You're not in no dilemma. Amen. You're in faith. Faith is not a dilemma. Amen. See, as long as you can roll over and say, God, I thank you for resolving all my problems. Huh? God, I thank you. Get me out of debt. Get me back into my own prosperity. Get me in my own property. Get me in my own house. Get me in my own this. I thank you. You keep thinking, God, you don't have time to feel bad. Amen. You don't have time to feel impoverished. You, you thank God and one day you'll look up and it'll all be in the past. Why? Because you accept his stripes for everything that's wrong in your life. He took stripes for your poverty. He took stripes for your sickness. He took stripes for everything that could ever go wrong with you. It's already paid for. You're not waiting on anything. Just go ahead and exhale and enjoy your life. Yeah. You know, we said we spent too many years wondering about things and waiting on something to happen so we can get at it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You better take it now. Because one day you'll look back and you say, I spent all the young years of my life. You know, people do that. You watch people with their children start growing up. I worried the first 10 years of my life. Joyce Meyer will tell you that. She said, I realized one day I could have been enjoying my children, my husband, everything, but I was too angry at what had happened to me in the past to understand what I had in the now. I don't care if you don't think you got anything but bills in the now. Enjoy your non-bill. If you got one bill you paying on time, enjoy that. Until you get another one you paying enjoy, enjoy that. Huh? Enjoy the fact you're not making anymore. Enjoy that. Huh? If you making more, enjoy it. Enjoy what you're making and say I'm gonna get to a day when I don't have to think I might as well enjoy where I am right now. I stayed depressed for five years thinking something magic had to happen to me. And I realized I could have been enjoying every day that I was at least depression-free for a little bit of time. And if I would enjoy that, I had more time depression-free. And when I enjoyed that, I had more time. And pretty soon I forgot I was supposed to be depressed. You understand me? That's faith. God had done something in my life and he told me it was real and I had to believe that and latch on to it and act like a healed person. And forget all the bad stuff that was done to me. You understand what I'm saying? That can't be undone, so we might as well let go of it. Sometimes you think people are the reason for your unhappiness and you realize I'm just sitting here doing this to myself. And call myself a righteous person. Huh? Call myself righteous. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a coming, dead, playing. Oh, whippersnapper. Huh? 
doing good till I look good to you. We always like to blame the other person. Huh? Blaming them is not going to help you. It's not going to heal you. It's not going to, you might as well love them. Huh? <laughs> love them. It's all good. God will bless you for it. Some people are hard to love, but you pick that person. <laughs> you like some about them once. Learn how to like them again. That's right. Come on. You just got yourself in a hole somewhere and don't know how to get out. I'm telling you how to get out. Realize you're a righteous person every day you live. You're getting further away from the problems you see are in your life. Everything you do righteous acts, you get them further away from it, and you're accumulating righteous acts in your life. You're not just a, a, a forgiven sinner, you're a righteous person. You gotta, you gotta believe that. People don't believe in imputed righteousness. We've had people that lived in fornicating and come to church all the time. You understand me? Why? They don't believe they've got righteousness imputed to them. Huh? They only got half of the story. If your salvation is not keeping you free from sin, you need to get the other part of the atonement. You need to get your righteousness imputed. You got to understand what that's about. We go through rituals in the church, altar calls, running up there, getting prayer for this, prayer for that. We never get to the root. Come on, come on. Proof is you don't believe you're a righteous person. Still think like a sinner, plan like a sinner, act like a sinner. Come on. You've got to get righteousness understanding inside of us. You don't need another grace teaching. Because you don't understand righteousness. How are you going to understand that? Huh? But we can do it. We can do it. We can quit feeling like we're not quite measuring up as Christians. You measure up, but you got to accept that. You can't. That's not something I can make you believe. You've got to sit there and look at Isaiah 53 long enough until it gets all over you. Until you bathe yourself in it. That's all I'm hoping you is it. I'm not just a sinner saved by grace but I have the Lord God's righteousness imputed to me. I can live like Christ lived. I can do everything Jesus did. I can resist everything he resisted and not miss it and feel sorry for myself because I'm like I'm missing something. Yeah. Silliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Christians, these are some of these so-called ministers that are putting each other's business in the street on the internet, talking about each other like they street trash. Yeah. But they say, but they're missing something, missing righteousness. I just say you ain't saved, because if you didn't get that while you were at the foot of the cross, God, God blessed them with his righteousness when they came to him by faith. You don't need that. you got to walk away. They're a person who does no wrong, and you know you do no wrong. You got me? And see, that's even unsettling for people. First, well, what about, what about? We always guess them, what about? They know what about. You do no wrong. Huh? 
God says, he that loves does not sin. He said, but if you do, it's not your, you're not here, you're not on purpose doing nothing wrong. Righteous people don't do it on purpose. Make the devil leave you alone about that stuff. Some people don't, don't mean to stop being hypocrites. It's all they know. That's not righteousness. You're a righteous person. You can stop that nonsense. See, God, you know, I see what my problem is. You know, I don't believe I do nothing right. I don't believe I'm a righteous person. Just stop it. Make up your mind today. You're going to stop making excuses every time you get called out about something you do wrong. Quit making excuses. Start confessing and say, you know what, I did this right. I do that right. I see that now. I can, I can do that right now. What a brainstorm. I don't have to keep covering up for myself. That's got to get tired. And so tired of You can confess your sins to each other. You can confess your wrongs to each other. You don't have to run around here and act like you got nothing together. That's not righteousness either. Because uh, that's not all Jesus did. And you go around pretending like you did everything right. You lived in obedience to the Father. You got somebody inside of you telling you what to do. That's where your righteousness comes from. From a man, Holy Spirit. You ain't making this up every day. You ain't responsible for none of it. You old program. Huh? Why do we why, Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. We thank you, Lord bringing us into a place where we understand who we are. Father, the greatest thing that we have is the ability for the blood to continue to cleanse us. We have an advocate. Jesus, you go to bat. When we're wrong, you go to bat for us. We don't have to go to bat for ourselves. We can admit our wrong down here, and you go to bat for us. So, Lord, we thank you that we can live humbly before you, we can live humbly and gently before one another, and we can receive all the benefits of the atonement, the imputed righteousness, understanding that when we sin, we can confess it, and once it's confessed, it's washed away, and righteousness comes into us. Or we don't have to live as second-class we have a first-class life in you. And we thank you for that first-class life. We honor you and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you need prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God.
your sins, and he also is your righteousness. Receive and walk in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Not just forgiveness of sins, but you have been impacted with the power of God to do, believe, and say, just as Jesus would do, believe, and say. His righteousness, working in you every day, brings you the blessing of God. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen and amen again. Praise God. Amen. Amen and amen. Praise God. We serve a great God. His mercy endures forever. His love is everlasting. He has crowned us with loving kindness and gentle mercy. We wear that every day. As the redeemed of the Lord, we have been purchased out of the power of darkness. Sin does not have dominion over us. Nothing that we do that's unpleasing to God that we have to continue to do. We are free to obey God and impute righteousness. And Lord, we thank you. As we look to you, we feed on your word. We can expect righteousness to move in and out of our lives. That we can accomplish the great things that God puts before us. Because we're not hindered by sin. There's no power of dominion over us. We are not slaves to doing wrong. But we are empowered to do right. We can think right. We can speak right. We can act right. As long as we trust in you, Lord. And not in ourselves. Lord, we thank you that as we rest in the knowledge of your imputed righteousness, that motivates us, stirs us up, helps us to think and do the things that you would have us We are successful in this world. We can expect success because of your imputed righteousness. We can expect goodness and mercy because we are righteous people. We can expect to lay hands on the sick and see them healed because of your imputed righteousness. So we 